Let me invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to the book of Ephesians. And at this time, children are welcome to gather in the foyer uh, as they prepare to go to children's worship for the remainder of our time together. But we're in Ephesians chapter 3 today. Uh, We've been journeying through this New Testament letter. We've been walking through this portion of God's Word, and this morning we come to Ephesians chapter 3, a beautiful text and prayer and prayer report that recounts what we have just sung, uh, the depth of God's love, the riches of His grace showered upon His people. And so as you find your place there in Ephesians chapter 3, we'll be looking at the latter part of the chapter. As you find your place there in God's Word, let me invite you to stand with me, uh, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's Holy Word. Ephesians chapter 3. I'll be reading verses 14 through 21. Let's hear from God's word. Paul writes, he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And oh God, may it be so. Guide us now, Lord, as we look at your word. Lead us by your spirit for the glory of your name. It's in the name of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. Will you maybe see that? How do you pray? How do you pray? Who taught you how to pray? Prayer is a tremendous privilege. Ever thought about that? I mean, we, we get to talk to God. We get to commune with God. We get to converse with the Almighty God. But, but many of us, many of us either don't really know how to pray or we simply don't pray because perhaps it feels like a burden. It feels like a chore, a command, rather than a relationship. See, prayer isn't a burden, or at least it shouldn't be. It's not meant to be. It certainly wasn't for Paul. It's clear here that Paul's not praying, right? He's not, he's not praying to earn spiritual brownie points. Or he's not praying to, to check a religious box out of duty or obligation. And in that, in that way, it's, it's unlike the prayers of Muslims Repeated five times throughout the day in order to earn God's favor, to appease God. Paul is not praying like that. He's, he's praying because he knows, he knows the good and gracious character of his God. And likewise, church, God's character should encourage us to kneel before him. God's character, who he is, should encourage us. Sh- who he is should encourage us to bow before the Father. God's character should encourage us in that way. Paul says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. You see, God is Paul's Father. 
He's the one that he can freely and confidently approach through the blood of Jesus Christ, chapter 3, verse 12, meaning Paul can speak to God as freely and openly and honestly as any son or daughter would speak with a father in whose love they have confidence. Moms, dads, don't you want your kids to come before you with that kind of confidence? Don't we want parents, our, our kids, to come before us with that level of trust, free, open, and honest, because they are confident in our unconditional love for them? And as I thought about that this week, as I thought about the way that that Paul approaches God here in prayer, I couldn't help but think of my own failures as a father. You see, compared to the Heavenly Father, all of our parenting falls so far short, wondering how long since I had assured my own kids of my unconditional love for them. I mean, sure, I tell them I love them. But when was the last time I really assured them that I loved them? And so I told them. One night this week, Kinsley, you know Daddy loves you, right? You know that Daddy will always love you. Yes, Dad. There's absolutely nothing in this world that you could do to make me stop loving you. And to my boys, Paxton, you, you know Daddy loves you, right? And then little Eli, Eli you know Daddy loves you. Oh, that, that we would know, church, our Father loves us. That He loves us perfectly. That He loves us completely. That, that we would have that kind of freedom and confidence to approach Him, knowing without a shadow of a doubt that His love for us is unconditional. Right? That He delights in saving us. He delights in calling us His own. And that He longs to hear from us. That He longs to spend time with us. If we did, right? If we did. If we remembered God's good and gracious character, wouldn't we pray? Wouldn't we talk to Him? Wouldn't we cry out to Him? God's character should encourage us to kneel before the Father. That's what Paul's doing here. That's what he's doing in this text. Coming before the Father with freedom and with confidence. On behalf of the church there in Ephesus, on behalf of Ephesians, Ephesian Christians, some of whom he knows, most of whom he probably doesn't even know, but he can't help but pray to God for them. For this reason, he says, I kneel before the Father. What, what reason? It's the same reason he alluded to earlier in that chapter and then digressed into recounting his own calling to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. The reason points back to the previous chapter. It points back. To what he's already said in chapter 2 and what God has done in Jesus to reconcile believing Jews and believing Gentiles to himself by means of the cross, but also to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, as members of the same family. Paul prays for the Ephesians because of God's reconciling grace. Friends, our Father's reconciling grace invites us to offer earnest prayers for one another. Our God's reconciling grace, His saving grace that has rescued us and brought us into His family and 
reconciled us to one another as members of the same family. His reconciling grace invites us to offer earnest prayers to him for one another, for fellow believers and recipients of God's saving grace. Paul's posture is kneeling. For this reason, I kneel. Humbly submitting to the Creator and Sovereign over every family. Given a heartfelt plea. That's what he's doing here. Paul is giving a, a heartfelt plea to God to hear his prayers for the brothers and sisters living in Ephesus. It's a, an earnest prayer for the spiritual well-being of fellow Christians. Asking God specifically for strength to really believe Christ dwells in our hearts. He's praying for the believers. He's, he's praying that they would really believe, that they would know that Christ dwells in their hearts. Paul says, I kneel before the Father, praying that, this is what he says, that He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit and your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's praying that these discouraged Christians would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit, knowing, believing, and truly experiencing the presence of God in their lives. Paul's not saying they aren't filled with the Spirit already. No, that's not what he's saying. That would be to misread what he's saying here, or the Spirit of Christ, same thing. In fact, he's just made the case, he's just made it rather clear that Gentiles, believing Gentiles, like us, have also been brought in and made to be a place in which God dwells by His Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. But Paul's praying they would feel it. He's praying they would know it. That they truly believe it and thus be encouraged regardless of what he's facing as a prisoner. He's in prison for the, for the gospel. And what they're perhaps facing there in Ephesus as Christ followers living in the large pagan city. See, Paul's praying they would experience what he's experiencing when he says in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's praying with confidence. He's writing with confidence. He's living with confidence and with joy. Paul's praying our gracious Father would grant the Ephesian believers faith in Christ and encouragement from God's Spirit to live in a world that opposes God. The latter half of verse 17 here in Ephesians chapter 3 is probably better translated, you are rooted and established in love. So this syntactically awkward interruption to what he's saying. He said, I pray that you would, that you would be strengthened in your inner spirit. So that Christ would, del- would dwell in your hearts. And he said, you, you are rooted and established in love. He's encouraging them. He's reminding them that inner strength comes from knowing that you are loved by Jesus Christ. He's praying that his readers would have strength to really believe Christ dwells in their hearts. Why? So that, so that we might comprehend the magnitude of Christ's love. So that we would comprehend how much he really loves us. What if, church, what if we prayed for one another like this? What if we prayed for fellow believers like this? I mean, most of our prayers focus on temporary ailments, right? Or discomforts. And God welcomes those prayers. God wants those prayers. He invites those prayers. He hears them 
And he answers them. But what if our primary prayers for one another were prayers that we would comprehend and experience the magnitude of Christ's love for us? That we would know how much he loves us. That's what God's grace has led Paul to pray here. That you, church, verse 18, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, all believers, all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Most of our English translations smooth this over just a bit. It's a little easier to read, but in the original language of the New Testament, Paul actually leaves us dangling here. He says something like, To grasp with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And then he moves on. And to know the love of Christ. Of what? The breadth and length and height and depth. He wants God to grant us knowledge of something immense. Something incredible. To grasp something grand. What is it? It's the magnificence and magnitude of Christ's love for us. A love in the words of one commentator. A love so wide and long and high and deep that one can mentally grasp it only, only through the strengthening of God's Spirit and the indwelling of Christ Himself. It is precisely for this that Paul prays. Paul's saying, I'm praying that you would know what it is that you have. The other day I went to Chick-fil-A. Anybody ever been to Chick-fil-A? You were all there that day. I went the other day and had an assignment to pick up Chick-fil-A. I'm not, I, I, I don't really like fast food most of the time, but you know, Chick-fil-A doesn't feel like fast food. It feels like fresh food. It's good. I don't know what it is about the chicken. It's just chicken. But I went and I got in that turn lane, making a U-turn to get in the line for Chick-fil-A. And once I was in the turn lane, I realized there's nowhere to go. Right, the, the line filled up the whole parking lot and two or three, however many lines around the building and was out on Highway 280 all the way to 119. I'm thinking, is this worth it? Right, where else can I go and get something to eat everybody be satisfied with faster? And I thought, probably nowhere at this point. And so what I did, I whipped around, I sort of parked next to Chick-fil-A, not at Chick-fil-A, walked down, went inside. You know, I thought I can do this much faster going in. I don't think that was the case. It was there quite a while, because, and it's not because they didn't have dozens of people serving, and not because they weren't churning it out. There were so many orders, and I thought to myself, what's wrong with us? We, it's that good. Why We've tasted it. No, nobody went to Chick-fil-A that day for the first time because nobody would have waited but they've tasted something good and they go back for more. Essentially, Paul is saying here, once you've tasted it, once you've tasted the love of Jesus Christ that surpasses knowledge, everything else is put into proper perspective. Nothing else compares to this. 
He says as much in Romans chapter 8, verse 35. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, nothing else, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, our Father's reconciling grace invites us to offer earnest prayers, heartfelt prayers for one another, for strength to really believe Christ dwells in our hearts so that we might comprehend the magnitude of His love and in turn, in turn, become all that God created us to be. Becoming all that God created us to be. This is the direction Paul's prayer has been moving. It's the ultimate purpose of his petition. He tells us in verse 19, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Meaning this, meaning spiritually mature and like Jesus, becoming the person God made you to be. I think Paul's prayer here is a reminder of the nature of the gospel. Reminder that we're dependent on God to rescue us, to save us, that there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to rescue ourselves. We, we need His, His grace. It's not a religion of works. It's grace. I, I need God's grace to be rescued and adopted. I need His Spirit to show me that I need to be rescued and adopted. And I need His Spirit to show me that I have been rescued and adopted. Oh, may God's Spirit show us every day. May He lead us. May He show us. May God teach us His character through His Word. For if we know His character, if we know His character, we'll be encouraged to commune with Him in prayer. God's character should encourage us to kneel before the Father. Right? Earnestly praying for one another, but also offering not just prayers for one another, offering exuberant praise to our God. Our Father's reconciling grace invites us to offer earnest prayers for one another and... Our God's immense power working in us invites us to offer exuberant praise. His power at work in His people should prompt us, as it does Paul here, to praise Him. To cry out to Him in, in praise, to praise God. He deserves praise and those who know Him want to praise Him. Paul knew Him. So right here, right smack in the middle of his letter, he bursts into praise. A doxology. Praising God for his saving grace and his sovereign power working in his people. He says in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul's drawing the first half of his letter to a close. And he pattern, he, he follows a, a common fourfold pattern for Christian doxologies. He begins with a reference to God, now to Him who is able, then he assigns glory to God, to Him be glory, followed by an expression of time throughout all generations forever and ever. And then he closes with a concluding amen, declaring that what he's just expressed is true. It's really true. This is who he is and this is what he deserves. His, his prayer is not random, but it is reaching. He's reaching 
for words to describe the indescribable, to express the ineffable, to, to build the central themes of his letter to a crescendo of praise. He is declaring that the Almighty God has made his power available to his people. It is all powerful that he's got over all and his power is available. It is readily available for his people in the church. It's at the disposal of his people. God's redeemed. And he is able to do immeasurably more or exceedingly abundantly beyond all we ask or imagine. We're meant to hear in this both the greatness of God's power and the reality of that power being available to us. You see, the place, the place in which God's power is most clearly displayed, on displayed, is in Christ's church. That's what Paul is saying here, I think. It's in Christ and it's in His church, in His people, the multi-ethnic community whose very existence testifies to God's manifold wisdom and His reconciling grace. And even so, there's no room for boasting here. No room for boasting in buildings or in budgets or in presentations or programs. Not not even in doors knocked upon or conversions experienced or new members welcomed or whatever other activity we may be inclined to pat ourselves on the back for. But only praise for Him who is able to do and for Him who has done in us. So, Meadowbrook, our God's immense power working in us invites us to offer exuberant praise to Christ Jesus, the head of the church. To Jesus. To Jesus and Jesus alone. The head of the church. The one whom the Father loves. Chapter 1, verse 6. And through whom we've been redeemed. Verse 7. And in whom we were chosen. Verse 11. And in whom we have hope. Verse 12. And under whom we serve, verse 22, and with whom we've been resurrected, chapter 2, verse 5, and by whom we've been seated, chapter 2, verse 6, and through whom we've been shown God's kindness, verse 7, and in whom we do good works, verse 10, and in whom we've been brought near by His blood, verse 13, and through whom we have complete access to the Father in heaven, chapter 2, verse 18, and by whom we are loved with a wide, long, high, and deep love, chapter 3, verse 18, a love that surpasses knowledge, verse 19, a love so sure and strong that it leads us to praise Him, to praise Him. See, our God's immense power working in us invites us to offer exuberant praise to Christ Jesus, the head of the church, with God's people for all time. With God's people, the brothers and sisters in Christ, forevermore, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Our friends, what a privilege to praise this one. Do you feel privileged? What a privilege. What a privilege an honor to be the home in which the Spirit of God dwells. To be the people through, through whom His power is shown. So brothers and sisters, fellow sinners saved by the grace of the Almighty God and brought into His kingdom, may our God's 
character encourage us to kneel before him, to kneel before the Father. May his spirit draw us again and again and again and again to the well of his mercy and the glory of his majesty that we might cry out to him in confident prayer for the good of his people and the glory of his name. Amen? Amen. May we run to him. May we walk with him. May we cry out to him. May we be consumed with praising him. So, so what, what might we take from this text? And begin to practice, to apply in our own lives. In our own prayer lives. This is a report of Paul's prayer. He reports that he's praying and then he prays. A few things. Let me give you four quickly. Marks of prayer that we could take from this text. Church, may our prayers be frequent. May they be frequent. Are characterized by freedom and confidence. Chapter 3, verse 12. Joy and worship. Believing, truly believing that Christ dwells in our hearts. And knowing that nothing can separate us. This is good news. Nothing can separate us from the Father's unconditional love for us. May our prayers be frequent and may they be shaped by the mystery of Christ. May they be shaped by the mystery of Christ. It's language that Paul uses in Ephesians. So we said last week, the, the open secret, right? the, the mystery that's been disclosed, the mystery of salvation for both Jews and Gentiles through the blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, may our prayers be gospel-shaped. May they be shaped by this good news, recounting God's good purposes, His plans, His desires for His people, rather than, rather than our wishes and our dreams and our pursuits that fall far short of the riches of His amazing grace. May our prayers be frequent, may they be shaped by the gospel of Christ, and may they be for Christ's church. For His church. May they be for His people, for His body, and for His Bride. That's what Paul's doing here. He's praying. He's kneeling before the Father on behalf of the church. The church is living there in Ephesus. May his reconciling grace lead us like Paul to pray earnestly for God's people. Believers, this is your family. These are your people. Let's pray for the family. Chances are, if you, if you pray, you pray for your family. Let's pray for the family, the household of God. The family of faith, brothers and sisters in Christ. May our prayers be frequent, shaped by the mystery of the gospel, shaped by the mystery of Christ, for Christ's church, and finally, finally, full of praise for the God of glory. May our prayers be full of praise. Do you know the God of glory? Do you know this one? Paul obviously knows well. He's quite comfortable with Quite comfortable getting on his knees before and crying out to and praising the one Paul is so eager to pray, to praise in, in the midst of imprisonment. The one being worshipped today, right now, all over the globe by his people whom he has redeemed. And the one seated on heaven's throne right now. He's there right now. Now, and forevermore, friend, He loves you. He loves you. And through Jesus, He's invited you to know His love and to join in praising Him. So why don't we do that? So we close our time together this morning. 
corporate worship. Let me just invite you right now. If you, if you just bow in prayer before God, right where you are. If you just spend a moment or two praying prayers that reflect this text. As David comes and in just a moment, they'll lead us in a hymn of response. But before we do that, let's just cry out to God. Let's offer up earnest pleas on behalf of His people because He's a God of reconciling grace. Let's offer up praise to Him in our hearts because He is worthy of our praise. You take a moment and pray in that way. And then let's sing together. Let's cry out to him.